Understand the difference of how God will treat those who live righteously, those who will obey him, those who believe in him. And what he says then about those who will live in sin, those who are wicked, those who will not trust him, those who will run away from him. Always have that comparison in your mind. For that when you see the scripture, and as God makes a difference, you'll understand it. So in Psalms 55, starting in verse 16, he says, But I call to God, and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress. And he hears my voice. He hears my voice. He ransoms me unharmed from the battle waged against me, even though, my, even though many oppress me. God, who is enthroned forever, will hear them and afflict them. Men who never change their ways and have no fear of God. My companions attack his friends. He violates his covenant. His speech is smooth as butter, yet war is in his heart. His words are more smoothing than oil, yet they are drawn swords. Now catch verse 22. For all of you who are troubled in heart, hear what the Lord says here in verse 22. Cast your cares on the Lord. Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you, and he will never let the righteous fall. He'll never let the righteous fall. But you, O God, will bring down the wicked. But you, O God, will bring down the wicked into the pits of corruption. Bloodthirsty and deceitful men will not live out half their days. Isn't that something? God says he cut the sinner what? Short. Cuts the sinner short. Won't live out half his days. Let's pray. Father, we are here today to honor you and to acknowledge that you are our God and that, Lord, you're the one who has to keep us You're the one that has to hold us in the hollow of your hands. For we are your people and we are not a perfect people. But we are a people, O God, on a journey seeking after you. And we desire, Lord, to know your will. That we might do that, Lord, which will please you and bring a smile to your face. And Lord, we recognize that, Father, that your Holy Spirit is here to teach us. And we want to learn from him everything that Jesus has given. And Father, we pray that we would be a people who will not quench your spirit. We would be a people who will not grieve your spirit. But, oh God, we would be a people who seek your perfect will for our lives. We pray, Father, that you would separate us, oh God, from the sins of this world. For you have said that You left us in this world. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. We don't act like the people of this world. We walk on a higher plane. We walk on a higher level. 
We are a people who are called to be holy. We are a people called to be sanctified. We are a people who are called to be in the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray to the one who has begun a good work in us. That Lord, you will continue performing that work and bringing us into that likeness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray for those who are lost. Lord, they're toiling daily, Lord. They're fighting daily. They're struggling daily, O God. And what they do not understand is that they're out of your perfect will. And they do not understand that you desire to help them. You desire to order their steps. You desire to direct their lives. You desire to bless them. Lord, we pray for those who are outside of the will of Christ. We pray for those who are lost and have not named him as Lord and Savior. We pray that the Holy Spirit's convicting power will fall upon them and that they might come to a true saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for West Akron. That, Lord, that the blood of Christ would just flow from home to home, down every street, down every avenue, that the blood of Christ would do a cleansing, O God, that we might once again have a taste of revival. Lord, call your people together. Call your people out, O God. And help us, O Lord, to stand for the principles and the standards of the living God. Let us not be fearful of what the world is saying. Let us not be fearful of what the world is doing. But, oh God, we are a peculiar people. We are a strange people traveling through this land. Strengthen us that we might show forth a love that this world had not seen. And that we would live in such a way that would magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. That it would draw people to us. Father, you minister, I pray. You minister to us and through us. And we'll give you the praise and we'll give you all the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to continue on in this series of choice. It is your choice whether or not if you choose to live in the flesh or by the power of the Spirit. You have to make that choice. And we make that choice daily. Whether or not we're going to live by the Spirit or we're going to live by the flesh. And you know the amazing thing about this? Only the Christian can do it. Only the Christian can do it. Nobody else can do that. The people of this world have no other choice but to live by the flesh. That's all. That's all. They can only live fleshly. They can only live with a desire for these fleshly things. They can only live for the material world. Because that's all they have. They don't have anything else. And they run after this material wealth. They run after the material things of life. Because that's all they, they know. 
We who are born of the Spirit know we have an inheritance in heaven that is far greater than the things here on earth. We also understand through Scripture that the things here on earth, they're all temporal. They won't last. They won't last. Nor will you take anything that you treasure here on earth when you pass everything you worked for everything you loved and desired it stays here and you go on see what often we forget is this the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof it all belongs to him whatever we possess is borrowed. God's just allowing you to use it for a moment. That car I drive out there, it may have my name on the title, but it's only on loan because when I die, it won't go with me. Any money I have in the bank, it's only on loan because when I die, it won't go with me. The house that I live in now, when I die, somebody else will move in there and won't even worry about who owned it previously. Because it no longer serves my needs. You and I have to recognize that this is not our home. As much as we try to make this our campground, as much as we try to make this the place where we're going to live forever, this is not. This is only a temporary place that we're traveling through. And you and I have to make the choice. Are we going to live by the Spirit and be governed by the Spirit? Or are we going to live by the flesh and run after these worldly things? False worship and idolatry and drugs. Go to Galatians 5.20 with me. Just very quickly. Galatians 5.20. We broke down the first part. We said this area, 5.20-21, is broken down into four areas. We hit the first area, which is the sexual senses. And our world has gone wild about sex. You don't sell anything unless you sell it through sex. Everything is about sex. We've covered that area. The second area is now witchcraft and idolatry. Now, in America, we don't think we have a lot of witchcraft. We have it. We have it. The tether cards, the telling of the future, spiritualists, we have witchcraft. Now, what we don't often understand about witchcraft is this here. Chris. Witchcraft is promoted by a demonic world. Demonic world, through individuals who yield themselves to it, will cast spells, use charms, use everything. That stuff is powerful. And it works. What we don't see is what takes place in Haiti and other countries with voodoo and so forth. Just a different name for it. In Africa, a lot of it still works. And it's all learned. It's all learned. 
That's part of the problem with chanting or seances. It's all learnt. And as you begin to somewhat summon demons and make your request known, they will empower you or think that you're empowered by the way that things begin to take place in your life and things begin to happen or spells that you put on people that they begin to afflict people or hurt people that you think, boy, this is some power I have. Whenever you deal with idols, you're going to deal with some form of demonic oppression. Whenever you deal with idols, you're going to deal with the demon world, the demonic world. The sad part about the church today is that we don't really believe in demons. But they're real. Oftentimes, demons will affect the city. It will affect the home. And it will personally attack people. Demons are not something that's sitting idle. They are individuals, fallen angels, that do not want God's will to be accomplished. And therefore they fight against God's will. We'll see that in scripture. But we have to understand that the scripture says in verse 20, idolatry, idolatry and witchcraft. Idolatry and witchcraft. Or sorcery in some translations. Now, it's the fool who says in his heart, there is no God. It's the fool. And many people play the fool by stating that there is no God. Now, let's put it another way also. You may not say that with your lips, but you live it in your everyday practice of life. You live as though there is no God. You go about your business doing your thing, never asking God, never bringing God into your life, never making a prayer request to God, never allowing God to know. Somehow, yes, you won't say it with your lips because some of us are a little bit knowledgeable. So we won't say it, but we'll surely live it as though God does not exist. And we live like God doesn't see anything that's happening in our life. God doesn't see me sneaking out with this person. God doesn't see me cheating. God doesn't see me in my adultery. God doesn't see me in my fornication. God doesn't see me in my lying. God doesn't see me in my deceptiveness. And what we're saying, God don't exist. And it's the fool that says God don't see or God doesn't hear. Remember last week when we went through Psalms 115? The idol, the purpose of the idol is that he is only to be seen but not heard from. He is to be worshipped but he is to take no action against you. That's the idol. See, our God is a living God. He's going to see and he's going to speak and he's going to take action. He's not an idol. He's a living God. Again, the purpose of that idol is that he is to be worshipped. It's something you set up. And that's why it says, made with the hands of man. Because now, really what takes place with an idol, you're in control. 
That's one of the issues of witchcraft. That people who use witchcraft or sorcery, they think they're in control. They think what they speak is powerful. They think what they're saying is bringing something to pass. And what they don't see is a demonic world behind all of that that is deceiving them. And man has always wanted power. Man still wants power. And we even want power in so-called Christian world here. Oh, this is my gift. Watch me perform this gift. No. If you get into Corinthians 12, you'll really understand that the gifts belong to the Holy Spirit and He manifests them through us when He so desires. They're not mine. They're His. But when I'm obedient to Him, He desires to use His gifts through me as the need approaches. They're not my gifts. They're His gifts. They're His And because he dwells in me, he's able to manifest that gift, no matter what that gift may be, at that moment, at that time in which it is needed. Which is different from the gift or the fruit that we're talking about here in Galatians. In Galatians 5 here, the fruit of the Spirit, or as we call sometimes the gift, They are your personal because they're going to help define your character as a Christian. They're going to help define your character as a Christian. See, if you're a Christian, you're not doing this list that's all in the flesh. You're doing the second part when we get to it. The gift of the Spirit. And there's only one gift, not gifts. It's just the one. The word fool refers to a person's moral and spiritual insensitivity. That you're not sensitive towards the things of God. Your sensitivity towards your sexual preference even. Or your sexuality. Or your moral life. Or the spiritual things of God. How sensitive are you to the Holy Spirit? How sensitive are you to the Holy Spirit? Do you know his presence? Do you know when he's in the room? Do you know when he's really working? Do you know when he desires you to move to the left or to the right? How sensitive are you to the voice of the Spirit? And how willing are you willing to yield to the direction of the Spirit? That's that sensitivity that we're talking about here. That you have to become very sensitive to the things of the Lord. You have to. And you're the one that has to be willing to really come under the authority of the Holy Spirit. Allow this sovereign God to work in your life. You have to. You have to. And it's important that every one of us do it. It's the fool who says God doesn't exist. It's the fool that says I won't allow God to work in my life. It is the fool that says I don't need any direction. I don't need anyone to order my steps. It's the fool that says I can make it through this life without God. It's the fool. And the fool, again, is the issue of your sensitivity of the things of God. Or either this fleshly world.
to their moral life. God has dealt with magic and sorcery. And oftentimes when you're going through life, you wonder, why did this happen to you? Or why did this happen to you? What caused this to take place? Failure in life is either caused by Satan or by God. Period. Not by you. I do not plan my life. I don't direct my life. Even though oftentimes we want to believe we do that. You yourself do not do it. If you did it, a lot of bad things that take place in your life would never take place. You wouldn't allow it. But it's the evidence that you don't control it. You have a thousand dollars. And next week you're broke. And you wonder what happened to it. And you can't even tell anybody how you spent that thousand dollars. Because Satan came along and basically emptied your pocket. Why? He come to steal. And to rob. And to kill. He'll deceive you in a way of spending it, using it, where it doesn't help you one bit. You have a happy moment. And after a while, you got days of sadness. Because Satan come to rob you. And you're allowing to rob you. You're allowing to steal from you. You allow him to work his spells, his, his witchcraft. His charms, all in your life, and you're so unaware of it. God only causes us to fail when he's going to teach us a lesson. Other than that, God's desire for us is to prosper. God's desire is for us to prosper. Why? It's in the prosperity that we shine as stars and other people take note. You need to understand that principles that is there. Now, God has been dealing with this for some time. Go with me to Exodus chapter 7. Because dealing with, source, with sorcery, magic, and so forth, boy, it's not new to God. It's something that's been handed down through the ages. And it's something that's been taught. And the sad part about a lot of us, we don't even know when it's going on. We don't even know the sign. People getting all kind of tattoos on them and don't know that some of those signs are about demonic. You need to go and study the occult. You need to look at all the different signs of the occult. Because for every sign, there is a demon assigned to that sign to help carry out secretly what Satan once done. You need to study all the signs. If you ever want to do something, just get on the computer and... And, and well, I better not say too much, but get on there and just do signs of magic or signs of Satanism or signs. And look at all the signs that will pop up. And people put stuff on themselves don't even know. When they put all these stars on themselves, what is those stars representing? The astrologers, the reading of the stars and so forth. You need to understand that. It will be so easy for Satan to come along and say, put 666 on you, because we're all accustomed to what? Tattoos now. Without having any understanding what that really means. So we go at it. That's why the Bible says in Leviticus, 
Don't allow any marks on your body. Because marks in your body on the Old Testament always identified people. It identified you in the area of who you were of importance, but it also identified you either in the area of a slavery or a foreigner. It's for identification. And God says, don't put any marks on your body. Isn't it strange he made us without marks? But yet, we want to go up and paint ourselves all kinds of ways. You know. Exodus chapter 7. 11 through 18, we're going to look at. These are the things that Moses was to do against Egypt. For God said unto Moses, go and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And the whole process was that, boy, Pharaoh was going to harden his heart. And God was going to help harden that heart. But God was going to show... His power against the powers of sorcery or magic or demons. So, it says Moses in verse 9, in verse 6, Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded. Then Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. They're up in age, aren't they? Old folks don't think you can't speak the word of God. Speak it. Not about age, it's about truth. Speak that word. It says, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. And Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcery. He got his magical team too. Don't always understand. The world, the unbeliever, got their magical team. They have their magical team. They just don't know it's demonic. They think it's something that's coming from them. They think it's something that they've learned. That's why all these spells and all these things are listed in books. And you can go buy books of sorcery. You go to New York, Chicago. You go to Detroit. You go to any large city. You'll find shops of witchcraft and spells and charms. You'll find them out on the streets selling their charms, selling their magic and so forth. You'll see that taking place. But look what happens here. He simply says, wise men of sorcery and the Egyptian musicians also did the same thing by their secret arts. Catch that, secret arts. You can go study secret arts. There's a lot of Christians that want to know about the Black Book of Moses. And there is such a book. And it's all the so-called magical spells that Moses was supposed to have used. And the Egyptian musicians also did the same thing by their secret arts. And each one threw down his staff, and it became a snake. Now catch what God does. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staff. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard. What happened? What happened before their very eyes? 
What God is allowing Moses and Aaron to know right at that point, you don't have to fear. I like it the way E.V. Hill said it. E.V. Hill gives this story in one of his sermons, and he shares that this woman who practiced in the occult that was close to their church there in California, that every now and then she would tip into the church. And this one day she came in demanding to see Pastor E.V. Hill. And he told a couple of the deacons, go out and handle that. Go out and handle her. Go ahead and tell her. She's not really uh, wanting to be here. You know, but she wanted to come in here and be quiet. She can come in, she can hear the word. But if she's come in to cause problems, send her on away. Get rid of her. Well, they came back in and they said, Pastor, we can't dismiss her. She won't go. She won't leave. She wants to see you. And she came in, so he told her, bring her on in the office. So they brought her on into the office. And she started saying her little charms or whatever. And he told her right then, stop. Stop. And he said, now, young lady, I want you to know something. Your stuff may be powerful, but my stuff is more powerful. And you don't want to be hurt today. It'd be best for you to leave. Because I know how powerful my stuff is. How many of you really know how powerful God is? Do you know the real power of the Holy Spirit? Scripture says he hadn't given us the spirit of fear. And he's talking about the spiritual thing. You put a dog before me with teeth, I'll run. I'm scared of a dog. I ain't got to where I'm scared of certain heights now. Well, it just didn't bother me. I'm scared of being too close in now. You know? But, but the thing is, is this here. I know God hasn't given me the spirit of what? Fear. And oftentimes what happens to us, we're running from a a demonic world. And we won't step out and trust God. What am I saying? When you see people living a certain way or or acting a certain way and doing something wrong, speak up. Speak in the authority of God. Speak the word, the power of God. Well, they're not going to change. That's not up to you. You speak the word. For the word is life. Let that word, let them wrestle with what they hear that comes from your mouth. Not wrestling with you, but with with the word. And oftentimes we won't even speak the word because we don't know the word, because we haven't hid the word where at in our hearts. And he, when you go on down through this, it's strange what God does when you really take this story and you keep looking at this story. But when it comes down into verse 22, now remember, it said, they threw down their staffs, and those staffs became snakes. Then in 22, it said, but the Egyptian musicians did the same thing by their secret arts, and Pharaoh's heart became hard again. And that was the blood. They made blood out of the water and so forth. And it tells you that the Egyptians were able to go along and dig alongside the banks. And that's how they got their drinking water. But they also, their musician, made blood. The water turned into blood. Then it says the same thing again over in verse, in chapter 8, in verse 6. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the water of Egypt. And the frogs came up and covered the land. But the musicians did the same thing. But their secret arts, they did the same things. 
They're doing the same thing with their magic. They're doing the same thing. Now, they could do it, but they couldn't cause the the frogs to disappear. So Moses had to call, uh, Pharaoh had to call Moses and Aaron back that they would do what needed to be done. And there was a promise made on a certain time, the next day, all the frogs would die because the musicians from, the, from Egypt could not do it. Could not do it. And he tells us again that it couldn't be done. And the whole process is that they would go to their secret books and they would do it again. Come down with me in 8 in verse 16. Because we're going to see this again in Scripture now, what we're going to read here. We're going to see it again, but we're going to see it in the New Testament. Satan is limited with his power. All his demonic hosts is limited with their power. And we need to understand that. Satan is nowhere equal to God. And oftentimes in our thinking, in our Christian world, we want to think Satan and God is somehow equal in power. No, they're not. Satan always comes underneath God. Satan only does what God allows him to do. Permits him to do. Those 816 it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the ground. And throughout the land of Egypt, the dust will become gnats. They did this. And when Aaron stretched out his hand with the staff and struck the dust of the ground, gnats came upon men and animals. And all the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats. But when the musicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not. And the gnats were on men and animals. Now catch verse 19. The musician says to Pharaoh, this is the finger of who? Yes. Even God makes every demon to recognize when he is present. He'll make every demon recognize when he's present. And they could not do it. Limited power. Limited ability. Go to Revelation 9, the last book now. 9.21. Revelation 9.21. God is dealing with this all the way through Scripture. In 9.21, it says, well, let's pick up in verse 20 first. The rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons. Every idol had nothing but demons behind it. They would not stop worshiping demons. The idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood. 
idols that cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent. What is God trying to get Pharaoh to do? Repent. What is Pharaoh using? He's using his musicians. He's using his magic. He's using his so-called power. And God has to show him he's more powerful. And here, they won't repent. Why? They're using their sorcery. They're using their demons. They're using their so-called magic. He says, nor did they repent of their, re- of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their theft. Understand something. Sexual immorality is nothing but a thing of demons from the pits of hell giving you a desire to do something out of the rules and boundaries that God has set forth. The demons will even set the stage. They'll bring the right person along. They'll even put you in the right atmosphere. They will have the right music. And they'll even give you the thinking nobody knows, nobody sees, nobody. And next thing you know, you're in a situation sexually that you wish you had never been in. Understand this here. The man never goes having sex with a woman with the plan of having a baby. He goes with satisfying his desires that have been heightened by demons and the woman's the same way. The demon sets the stage. Those are the pitfalls we fall into. And then we're saying, God bless me. God bless me. God do this. God can't bless sin. God can't bless without repentance. God can't bless without you willing to be obedient unto him. And we're all waiting, as some folks would say, our breakthrough. Your breakthrough is your obedience. Be obedient to God. And you'll be surprised all the breakthroughs that take place when you're obedient. And that's 1919. Let's go to it real quick. Because it says something about where all this stuff comes from. Paul is out doing his work. But here come these individuals and they think they're going to do something. But look at verse 19. And this is after hearing the word. A number who had practiced sorcery bought their scrolls together or their books together and burned them publicly. It's a learned something. Sorcery, chance, all that is learned. When you're around somebody who calls himself worship, worshiping Buddha, behind Buddha is nothing but a bunch of demons. And the whole process, people chanting a whole bunch of stuff that they know nothing about. All this chanting stuff that people get into chanting is nothing but demonic. Satan will act as religious as he needs to to captivate you into a false worship. You need to understand that. Now, in Acts 8-9, Simon, he called himself the great one. 
in verse 10, go over to Acts chapter 8. It says, now, for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. Now understand, one of the reasons that Satan gives people these powers is that they themselves captivate the attention of others. Now understand, why does he want to capture the attention of others? If your attention, remember the song we sung earlier? Focus on who? Yeah. Hebrews 12 tells us what? Focus on who? Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of what? Of our life. He tells us where to focus. But if Satan can cause us to focus somewhere else, put our attention somewhere else other than Jesus Christ, we will miss everything God has for us. When you put your focus on the things of this world, and this world belongs to Satan, he's the God of this world, it's temporarily his. When you focus on the things of this world, you're not focusing on Jesus Christ. When you're so focused on material things and wealth, you're not focused on Jesus Christ. And it says, some, some translations will say that Simon had a strong influence on the people. When somebody has strong influence on you, they can lead you. They can direct you. Because they have that much of a hypnotic sense over you or thing over you that whatever they say do, guess what? You do it. Because you're focused on them rather than Christ. Now, he says, boy, he had such amazement on all the people. He amazed all the people. And look at what else he said. He boasted that he was someone great. Have you ever caught people who got a little power? They think they're what? They are great. They're above you. It's something how we look at power and deal with power. When we think we got a little power, we think we're above somebody else. We think we're greater than somebody else. That's one of the worst problems in Christianity. I have this gift and I have that. You don't have this. Let me tell you this. Let the, we need to throw all that stuff out the door and love one another. Love one another. That's the greatest thing God asks us to do. To love one another. But no, we want to show each other our powers. So what happens as we show each other our powers? We wind up with in-house fighting in the church. Trying to demonstrate which one is more powerful. Which one has more favor with the people. Which one has this or which one has that. 
If anybody should have favor of the people in the church, it ought to be the Lord Jesus Christ. That when anything comes up in the church, it is not so much what the pastor says. It is what people have taken to prayer and heard from God. And that's how we answer because we believe we've heard from God that this is the right approach. This is the right thing to do. And therefore we do it. Not because pastor says it or deacon so-and-so say or elder so-and-so say. It's because you have taken it to prayer and you believe this is what God really wants your church to do and you to participate in. And we do it. And he says he saw himself as the great one. A lot of pastors, we set ourselves up as the great ones. And we're not. We're as dependent upon Jesus Christ as you are. I need him. I need him. I need his strength. I need his blessings in my life. I need him just as much as you need him. Never think that somehow Pastor Brown is somebody great because he isn't. We are all on Mount Calvary at the feet of Jesus. We're all asking God to rescue us. We're all asking God to save us. We're all asking God to do something in our families. We're all pleading with God and wrestling with God to keep us. I'm in the same boat you're in. And you're in the same boat I'm in. Dependent upon God. And he goes on a little further and he says about him, because Simon sees himself as somebody. In verse 11, he had power to influence the people. Simon is amazed by what Philip's doing when you get to verse 13, though. And here's that area again now. Although he got all kind of power, now he's watching this man of God do something, Philip, this Christian, do something that he's never seen take place. So when you get in verse 13, it says, Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. What Simon was, was doing, he was watching Philip. Because Philip was doing some things he never watched. He couldn't even imagine. As Christians, we ought to be doing and living in such a way that people are saying, Woo! Boy, I'm going to follow them a little bit. I'm going to walk with them a little bit. I'm going to see what's going on in their lives. But because we live so close to the world, we're following them more than them following who? Following us. And it says, Simon was caught up in amazement with what he was seeing Philip do. Remember back in Exodus? The musicians couldn't do what Moses them did. And understand this in your life. If you are really in tune with God and you love the Lord and you're obedient to God, God's going to allow some things to take place in your life that the world looks at and it will go, ooh, I've never seen that. I've never been blessed like that. That's never happened to me. And it draws people to you to be able to share Christ. It is not about wealth that sets everything at ease in a person's life. 
It is, it is knowing Jesus Christ that sets everything at ease in your life and gives you a peace. It got so good that Simon said, I'll offer you some dollars for this power in verse 18. He wanted to pay for it. People, you can't pay for the power of God. There's nothing you can give to get God's power. Other than be obedient and God desires to use you for his glory. And then he extends to you his power. When you are doing his work, you're at his task. You're doing what he's called you to do. Then he empowers you beyond your ability to do. Because God knows, just like you know, how weak you really are. And unless he empowers you to perform that task, that task will not be done. But because you are obedient, and because you desire to do God's will, and because you're praying through it, and you're seeking God's faith, God gives you the power at every turn, every area of life, to be able to accomplish that which he has set before you, that he might be glorified. He'll do it every time. If you totally surrender to him and allow him to do it. It's not about money because you can't buy anything from God. Everything we get from God is a blessing. Everything we get from God comes through grace and mercy. Everything that comes from God comes through this one act called the atonement. If Jesus Christ would not have atoned for our sins, we would not have received nothing but what we deserved, the punishment of hell. But everything, the healing, the wealth, the children, the houses, the cars, everything comes through God's grace and favor upon our life. Some is much, some is little. For some of us, we can't handle the much. So God teaches us with the little. And he says this, if you're faithful in the little, he will do what? But he allows you first to learn how to be faithful with little before he gives you what? Much. It's just like a baby. If you give a baby too much, what happens? You're going to be up all night. It's going to come back out. You're going to have a sick little child. You are God's child. And God knows exactly what you need when you need it. And he won't overfeed you. But he'll give you what you have need of. And then in verse 24, 23 first, Peter says, and here's the gift of discernment taking place now, that the Holy Spirit uses through Peter. Because Peter really don't know Simon. So in verse 23, he comes back and he says, let me get there. He says, for I see that you are full of bitterness 
and captive to sin. Go back up to verse 20. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart is not right before God. Repent. Now, Peter didn't get before him and say, Oh, no, you can't be used of God. No, God don't want to have anything to do with you. No, you're too dirty, you're too sinful, you're too this, you're too that. Peter simply said to him to do what? Repent. Peter allowed him to know his heart wasn't right. Understand that. The heart's not right. If your heart's not right, you're not going to receive anything from God. The heart has to be right. The heart has to be right. The heart for the issues of life. What flows out of the heart? The issues of life. How you're living. What you're doing. Your attitude. All that comes out of the heart. And he says, boy, your heart's not right. Your heart's not right. And then he goes on and he says simply that, repent now. Repent. And that's all we can tell people sometimes. The heart's not right. You're not living right. You're not doing this right. Now, people don't like to hear that. But when they repent of it, all the mercy and the grace of God that can flow into that life. And what God is able to do. And he says, repent of the wickedness and pray to the Lord Perhaps he will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. I like that because you know where? He, Peter didn't say, not only will I pray for you in a sense, but he, he told him he had to what? Because you have to confess your sin with your own what? Yes. Mama can pray for you. Papa can pray for you. This one can pray for you. But there are times in life, the only one who can really pray that God's going to really hear and respond to will be you because you committed the act and until you repent of it and say to God, I'm sorry, Lord. I repent of this sin. This sin is against you. This sin hurts your heart. This sin wipes the smile off your face when you look at me. Forgive me for what I have done in bringing the hurt and the pain to you. We believe God so far off, we don't hurt God. Children often feel their life is like their own life. And what they don't understand about parents... We still grieve for our children when they do wrong. When a mother see her child sentenced to life in the courtroom and she hears that judge says life imprisonment, usually what does that mother do? Break down crying. Why would she break down crying? She's not the one going to prison. She's not the one who committed the murder. She's not the one who was involved in the act per se. But because of the pain that that child and suffering that child's going to go through, she winds up weeping. And what we don't think is that parents care for children, and children don't believe that parents 
hurt and grieve for them when they're in sin and doing wrong. Because we know the consequences of that. And it hurts us and grieves us. If we act that way, how does God act when he sees us in sin? And in verse 24, he simply says, Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. Why would Simon make that statement? Nothing that you said would happen to me. What would cause Simon to make that statement? Everything that Simon has seen Philip do had first started off with words. The miracles that he heard him pray for and ask God for. Any signs that was, was first come out of Philip's mouth. That remember the scripture says he followed Philip around and saw these miracles and signs. Miracles just don't boop, boop, boop. Signs just don't go boop, boop. There's somebody praying, somebody asking, somebody speaking, somebody requesting it. And guess what? Simon saw the response of God to Philip's request. And now Simon is saying, what you prayed for, pray that God won't do it, that none of these things are happen. Why? He realized the power of God. And sometime in your family, you need to pray. Oh, Lord, keep them from any harm. Keep them. No, Lord, break them. Lord, take every dime they get. Lord, wreck that car. Lord, take this away from them. Lord, strip them down. Lord, send them to the mission. Lord, don't let them have anything. You need to ask God to take everything away from them that they treasure, that they would come to a point where they only treasure and desire Him. It's a known fact. When we get totally broke, totally out of our wits, and have nothing, and we ain't called on God for years, all of a sudden we want what? Oh, God, have mercy on me. Oh, God, help me. Oh, God, rescue me. Oh, God, this. It's that point of bringing people to a place that they call upon the living God. Don't be praying, God, keep your children when they're in sin. No, Lord, break them. Take everything from them. Strip them down, Lord. Let them run through the world naked if you have to, Lord. Put on some rags on them, Lord. Break them down. Take everything from them. Don't allow nothing good to happen in their lives until they come to a place to cry out unto you. And Simon says, Boy, pray that none of these things that you've said would happen to me. Because what's the first thing that Peter said about him? Peter answered, May your money perish with you. Oh no, don't take my money, Lord. Oh no, don't allow that to happen. See? Last and closing, we're going to skip 16. Won't you go to Isaiah 47? Again, looking at witchcraft, God dealing with it. 
And God is speaking to Babylon. Oftentimes we go to, through Scripture and we think, well, God only dealing with Israel. No, God's dealing with people. When we seek our pleasures outside of God, we are asking some demonic force to please our pleasures. When we want something outside of what Scripture declares for us, then we're willing to accept whatever satanic thing will bring it to us. We just want them to bring it to satisfy our personal pleasures. In verse 1 of 47, it says, Go down and sit in the dust, virgin daughters of Babylon. So you know who he's talking to now. When we get down into verse 8, pick up with me there now as we walk through this. Now then, listen, you wanting creatures, longing in your security and saying to yourself, I am, and there is none besides me. Come to a point that the only person important is who? Me. And that's where a lot of people are at. All that's important in their life is themselves. And everything is about them. And it's about their pleasure and their wantingness. He says, and this is what Babylon says to itself, I will never be a widow or suffer the loss of children. Verse 9, God answers. Both of these will overtake you in a moment, on a single day, loss of children and womanhood. Oh, you're so prideful that you think you can keep it? You think no harm can come upon you and you can do all, your, all that you want to do and enjoy all your pleasure? And he says, you're going to lose these two things same time, same day. And he goes on, he says, they will come upon you a full measure. Now listen to what he says. In spite of your many sorceries, in spite of all your magic, in spite of all your sorcery, in spite of all your so-called dealings and your so-called thinking you're so powerful, you're going to lose it. And what God is just going to show you is this. What's more powerful, your magic or his? He goes on a little further and he says, They will come upon you in full measure in spite of your many sorcery and all your potent spells. You have trusted in your wickedness. What does he mean when he said you trusted in your wickedness? You go out and you hit somebody in the head and you take $500 off of them. Oh boy, I got it made for a few days now. I got $500. You're trusting in what you did is going to secure you for a little bit. And you may have spent 200, 300 of it, or 400. And then all of a sudden, the, the police catch you. And you don't get, what's that thing in Monopoly where it says, bypass jail, go past jail? You don't get one of them tickets. 
You pick that ticket that says go straight to where? For $500. You get to go to jail. We don't understand that there's always that penalty built in. We're shacking up. We living together. We're doing all right. We don't need no marriage certificate. We love each other. In your wickedness, God says he's going to cause you to suffer. Because, see, you abandoned his word and you went and did what? What the demonic spirits have taught you to do. Timothy 4, 1 Timothy 4, demons teach. Need to understand that. Demons teach. Understand, Satan knows you're not going to do anything unless he teach you. Isn't it strange? We can teach a dog to jump. We can teach a great big old elephant to stand up. We can even go into the lion's thing and teach the lion to jump from one thing to another, as vicious as they are. But just understand something. Satan is doing the same thing to you that you see people do to animals. He's training you how to respond to him. And you respond that way when you shack up. You respond that way when you commit fornication. You respond that way when you... You respond that way. Satan is teaching you and the demons behind will surround you and encourage you and impress it upon you that you're doing it. And then you wake up in the morning talking about, what am I doing sleeping here? How do you get in my bed? What did this happen to me? Satan teaches. Satan teaches. Where did he get that from? He got it from God because God is a teacher. A little bit. Let's hurry up here a little bit. Because that whole process, he says, when you come down, he says, disaster will come upon you. And you will not know how to conjure it away. Again, using your magic. You can't stop it. You can't put it off. A calamity will fall upon you that you cannot ward off with your ransom. A catastrophe you cannot foresee will suddenly come upon you. Keep on then with the magic spells and with your many sorceries. Or demon friends. Because some translations put in there where so demons. Your sorcery. Which you have labored at, catch this, childhood. When does Satan start dealing in your life? The moment you take breath. A child doesn't have to be taught to do wrong. Satan will teach him. And he says, you've been dealing with demons and been surrounded by this thing of Satan since childhood. And we wonder sometimes when we call you little devil, we're talking the truth. And the whole process, he says, you've been doing this since childhood. That's why the Lord tells us when we come to him, renew your mind. Why? Because you have all that old garbage that Satan's taught you that he got to get rid of. So he says, renew your mind. Renew your mind. What are you renewing your mind with? The word of God. Because you've been taught by Satan. And he goes on a little further. He says, 
Perhaps you will succeed. Perhaps you will cause terror. All the counsel you have received have only worn you out. Let your astrologers come forward. Those stargazers who make predictions month by month. How many of you read your astrology in the paper? How many of you go by your birthday and so forth? Stop that foolishness. That's all that is. A bunch of foolishness. He says, those stargazers and astrologers, and a lot of you want to read your horoscope and so forth. Throw that stuff away. And get on your knees and ask God. And God will show you plainly because God says, I have a plan for you. A plan to prosper you. A plan to bless you. Forget about your astrology. And he goes on and he says, let them save you from what is coming upon you. Come on down into verse 15, because there's a word there that when you follow it out and really study it out, it deals with drugs. And remember back in Galatians 5, witchcraft also goes into the area of drugs. This word here also goes into that area of drugs. We even use it. In the drug thing. He says in verse 15. That is all they can do for you. These you have labored with. And trafficked. Trafficked. Some. King James and some use the word merchant. We call it drug trafficking. You know what that word is just saying? Somebody's the merchant. Somebody's the buyer. And the seller. That's all. So you're buying drugs, you're selling drugs. You're buying drugs, you're selling drugs. Now understand, well, I'll even give you a couple little whips. I'll give you a couple little tastes so I can get you hooked. Because once I get you hooked, I'm getting all my money back. I just got to get you hooked. And that word trafficking, if you study it all the way out, leads to the word drugs. And that's what we use the word at night. Drug trafficking. Somebody's buying, somebody's selling drugs. Witchcraft, demonic stuff, will always lead us into drugs, into chanting, into scenes. This little thing that we come up with, where did it come from? If you walk under a ladder, if you break a mirror, Foolishness is right. But Satan tries to sell you on it. If he can sell you on those simple things, then he starts selling you on these other things. People, the word says, you have to choose when it comes to the flesh and the spirit. And he simply says, in verse 19, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. We'll take the next section next week is frictions in the household. The hatred, the argument, the anger, all that takes place even in our household and our world is the next section. That causes all the fighting that takes place. And sometimes we're wondering, why are they fighting about that? It's so stupid. It don't take much to get people to fight in the day, do it? It doesn't take much.
Thank you for being with me. I hope that you were able to grab some nuggets out of it. I hope you were able to see that Satan, though he has power, is not all powerful. And I hope you can see something. You live in a spiritual world. And in that spiritual world, a demonic host is very active. You don't just pick what you think you want to do. Either you're living in the will of God or you're living under the will of Satan. You assume that you're the one doing this and making it happen. No. You're only reacting to God's will or Satan's will. Period. You're only responding to one or the other. That's all you're doing. You can't make a cup of water. You can't make the poison. You can't make a gun. God gives the ability to do that. Everything is under God's will or Satan's will. And you have to choose. Are you living under Satan's will or under God's will? I can't wait till that we get down and talk about the gift, the fruit. Because that fruit is for us to change our character for what we're talking about up on top. Because without the Spirit of God, you can never be free of the sins of this world. Without repenting, you'll never be free from them. Without covering yourself in the blood of Christ, you'll never be free of them. And without ever acknowledging you deceive yourself and you're like that individual in Psalms 14.1 who says, the fool says there is no God. The fool says it. Father, may you take all that is said today and may you regurgitate it in our hearts and our minds.